A U.N. panel will audit the United States on their systemic racism. The Biden administration says Cubans will not enter the United States. And former President George W. Bush says we made a mistake withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. We've got all that and much more coming up, and it starts right now. Hello there. Welcome to the news and why it matters. I'm Hillary Kennedy. I'm filling in this week. And you know what? It has been a fun week so far. And today will also not disappoint. We've got two of the greatest here at the table mm -hmm. and two of the best tweeters as well. So if you're not following them on <laughs> yeah. Twitter, nice. you need to. Never got that before. Their, <laughs> their tweets are so good. First guest today, Andrew Heaton. Welcome back to the studio. You're Thank you. The host of The Political Orphanage mm -hmm. and also author of the new book. I uh, love this title. Los Angeles is hideous. Mm -hmm. Poems about an ugly city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, all, all true. It is delightful to be back. Thank you for recalling me and making me your leader. I, I'm <laughs> thrilled to be here. Uh, yes, I, I just wrote a book called Los Angeles is Hideous, Poems About an Ugly City. If anybody watching the show happens to enjoy ragging on Los Angeles, you will very much enjoy the book. Well, I'm going to ask you about it more later, but that's some very exciting stuff. You, No one will ever accuse you of not having great titles. Thank so. you. Yes, I get that a lot too. <laughs> and then Jason Buttrell, who is our head writer and chief researcher for Glenn Beck, and always a good time on the show. Thanks, Thanks for, for being me. here. Also filled in on the four-minute bus for me last week, so I, I owe you a favor. <laughs> so thanks for being here today. All right, so we're going to start off talking about the United Nations. So they decided yesterday to set up a panel of experts to investigate systemic racism and policing against people of African descent, adding international weight to demands in the United States for accountability for police killings of African Americans and reparations for victims. Secretary of State Antony Blinken tweeted this yesterday. Responsible nations must not shrink from scrutiny of their human rights record. Rather, they should be transparent with the intent to grow and do better. That is why I'm announcing a formal invitation for UN Special Rapporteur on Contemporary Forms of Racism to visit the U.S. So it's going to look into issues ranging from excessive use of force, racial profiling, police handling of peaceful protests, and links between racial supremacy movements and the police and criminal justice system. All right. I think Jason has some strong oh, thoughts and feelings about this, so I'm going to start with you. Which part? I mean, I love the fact that global governments can come in here and tell us what to do. Tell us how evil we are and how bad we are. You know, that sounds great. Um, I can't really stand, I can barely stand local government. I sure as heck can't stand federal government, so UN coming in J here Jason is... thinks the highest level of government should be the PTA. <laughs> yes. Anything over that. Yes, that's about um, Wow. I, I don't even know how they would even... I'm going to start here. How they even would start with, let's say, the, I would assume it comes from the UN Human Rights Council or something like that to tell us how racist we are. Let's talk about who's on the Human Rights Council. I wish I've looked this up a billion times. I can't remember off the top of my head. but I, I looked up some of them. I'd like, oh, like Pakistan, I'm Pakistan, sure. I think it's still on Saudi it. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, Cuba. Cuba which, yeah. when you think of those countries, you think, Human rights. <laughs> right. I think Russia's even still Russia's on it, on it. right? Yep. They treat journalists just great. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not racist at all or any kind of other horrible they've thing. They've been fine since Mighty Ducks 3. Yeah. They've, really, they've come a long way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is probably one of the more insane things I've come through. I saw this on Twitter earlier today. And there's just, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it actually is for, really, than just the Biden administration is still pandering to the left. Um, still trying to, um, 
you know, we talk a lot about the Great Reset and how a lot of the a lot of the world right now is transforming. A lot of it is. It's changing in, in the way that they want. You know, I saw a, a Financial Times article, uh, I think yesterday or a couple of days ago, where the headline was like, why the United States should really consider um, central planning for their economy. I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding me maybe, here? Maybe this time, 30 million people won't starve to death. Yeah, or you, we maybe can roll the dice. One time, it's going to work, yeah, Andrew. Exactly. Just one. We got computers now. It's lunacy. Well, I just am curious what gives the U the UN the right to audit the U.S. on racism when there are actual crimes going on in places like China that they don't seem to be focusing on. Because it says here they are going to investigate law enforcement across the world, but. The resolutions references are about the murder of George Floyd, May 2020, and they're really making sure the United States is the focus of their work. Hey, may, maybe, maybe there's like a catching racism quota in the UN, and they're like, it's really easy to get it in America because we're talking about it all the time. We'll help you, but it's real difficult to do in China. So the low-hanging fruit <laughs> is to come to America. They got to go into detention camps, so that's just a lot yeah, of work. I don't know. know like, I can fly into LA, or I can fly into uh, the Uyghur area of China. Mm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll say I'm not worried about it for this reason. It, it, it's not. I understand the use of the term. It's not a global government. The United Nations, the, the most powerful person in the United Nations, is the person who sets the prices at the gift shop. Mm. It's the only person who has any actual power in the United Nations. The rest of the time, it's a talk shop. So, like, they can do whatever they want. I don't know. I, I think it's probably mostly just foreign bureaucrats who need a job, and they're like, "Oh man, Mitch is out of work. Well, we'll form a panel. We'll yeah. form a panel. Right. Send him to you know Milwaukee or something. You, you promised who to be on the administration? <laughs> yeah. Send him to the UN." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me sit there. Well, so Biden, his DHS chief to Cubans, they're saying, if you're planning on making a sea voyage here, forget about it. Mayorka says, you're not entering. Let's take a listen. Allow me to be clear. If you take to the sea, you will not come to the United States. The time is never right to attempt migration by sea. To those who risk their lives doing so, this risk is not worth taking. Again, I repeat, do not risk your life attempting to enter the United States illegally. You will not come to the United States. So what's interesting about this, too, is the Pew Research Center recently did a poll and found that most Cuban-Americans identify as Republican. So... Now you know why they don't want them coming. Right. Mayorkas <laughs> comes out and says, so it just seems odd that there's been this big push for people who are crossing the border in Mexico and saying, well, let's let them stay. But then Cubans who are actually trying to flee and come here for political asylum, they're saying, eh, don't, don't, don't even try it. We've got the Coast Guard out there. We're monitoring everything that's going on. So where were these strict guidelines when migrants were illegally crossing the border a couple of months ago? Jason, what do you think? Well, that's that was key. And he said that, I think, three times. He was like, if you plan to come here by sea, um, don't come here by sea. Basically, what the, I don't know, like all they really have to I don't I don't. You could go, they could go by sea over to Cancun, which I think would be maybe the closest area, then travel north up to the Texas Arizona border, and then you can come through and it'd be just fine. Like, we won't, they don't care, they'll just let you in, no big deal. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, they don't want them coming through by sea up through, I guess, the Florida Keys or whatever. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, how many uh, media people did you see? You know, quoting the new Colossus, you know, or the Statue of Liberty, you know, bring us your tired, your destitute, your 
I, I remember them quoting that a lot during the Trump administration. Don't remember them quoting that at all today. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much because no politician, whatever they tell you, gives a crap about immigration. They don't. I can't stand any politician. I feel the same about them as I do about most governments, except the PTA. <laughs> um, they, they don't give a crap. All they give a crap about is bending that narrative to whatever the, whatever's going on for them at the time. Whatever is politically you know, um, fruitful at the time, that's the side they're gonna jump on. And no, of course not. You're not gonna get AOC running down in a white suit um, you know, crying in the, at the, the southernmost tip of the floor of Keys. She's not going to do it. She's not going to help, you know, talk bad against the Democratic, uh, you know, socialists, a fellow socialist regime. No way. You know, that's why they try to come out and say, oh, they're doing it because of COVID. What a load of crap. Mm -hmm. What an absolute load of crap. Andrew, what do you think about that? Do you think that it has anything to do with COVID or do you think that they really are focusing on wanting their freedom first and foremost? Uh, I mean, I, I think there's myriad reasons people would be leaving Cuba at any given time for <laughs> Florida. Like, COVID could be one of them, but I'd like probably the brutal communist regime that's like cracking down right now would be a large part of it. I want to push back on Jason on principle, just because I want to fight you. <laughs> right. I think uh, there is a significant difference between coming on a boat to Florida versus coming up through the Mexican border. And the reason for that is under American law, as I understand it, if you are Cuban, and specifically for Cuban, and you can get here by boat, the second you touch American soil when you get off that boat, you were given amnesty here. Now, we don't have that for other people. So if you're Honduran, you're Guatemalan or whatever, you come up through Mexico, you're still subject to American immigration law as per usual. And even though there's problems at the border, it's at least under whatever the normal federal government wants to do via the executive branch, so on and so forth. Whereas if you're coming by boat, you get here, it's it's over for whatever. There's no There's no control once you're here because you are legally allowed to live here. So I suspect that that features in. What I think they should do is just make a new rule. If you want to come to America and you're from any Latin American country or any country, as long as you promise to open up an ethnic restaurant, you can come here. I think that would be great. Uh, I like ethnic food. And if, like, I don't know, if a terrorist sneaks in, how good's their food? I'm willing to make that, that balance. Like, Turkish food's great. I'll take a couple. Oh, <laughs> I mean, Turkish food is actually great. Have you had tuna fe? It is delicious. Yeah. <laughs> is great. I would risk all of your lives for tuna fe. <laughs> you know, I, I will say on, on the Cuban thing, it, it reminds me a lot, and it kind of ages me, and I'm sure you remember this as well, Andrew. The, um, right after the Soviet Union fell, we had very similar uprisings uh, in Cuba. Sp all over the place, all over Cuba. And that was kind of crazy about what happened was it wasn't just in Havana or a couple of big cities. It was all over Cuba, which shows that similar in, uh, you know, like 1989, 1990, when there was an uprising then, um, that it might be coordinated. So they might actually be getting together. And when the Soviet Union fell, one of the big reasons why they started protesting in the uprising was, um, you know, I think COVID, if it has played a role, it's exasperated, mm. you know, how hard things are with the community. It's hard to get food. It's hard to get staples. It's hard to get anything. Mm -hmm. It was the same way back in the Soviet Union. Back then, Venezuela stepped in to provide, you know, finances and, Thanks, and resources. Good job, Venezuela. Yeah. Um, but they can't do that now. They got a little problem. And, uh, I mean, they could send a couple billion, you know, mm. Venezuelan, whatever they are, bolivars, mm -hmm. but that will probably buy two loaves of bread. So... They're not going to be much, much help. I would suspect that probably Russia and China will be looking to step in. Um, Cuba is actually a very big Achilles heel for, uh, for um, the United States. And there will be enemies of ours that will be looking to take advantage of this. I'm sure we'll be looking to take advantage of this as well. But it'll be right. interesting to see how it plays out. Seen. Well, really quickly, you know, we've been hearing a lot about what's going on in South Africa this week as well. It's the most severe riots in decades to happen mm. in South Africa. And they reportedly 
began when socialist operatives objected to the conviction of their former left-wing president, Jacob Zuma. So there's been rioting and looting and widespread, often xenophobic violence, and it's spreading to numerous cities. It's gotten to the point where these rioters are also keeping people from getting medical access, those who are victims. They're coming in and rioting at the hospitals. They're keeping the doctors from being able to do their jobs. They're attacking the ambulances. It's some frightening stuff. Um, Do the ambulances provoke them? Let's hope not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really bizarre thing that's going on over there. We're just finally getting more information about that, but it just sort of feels like the whole world is on fire right now, don't you think, Andrew? Uh, there's been a lot of windows breaking over the last couple of years, and uh, apparently that's happening in South Africa. Um, I think that, so here, here's a realization that I've had recently. I, I interviewed a guy named Adam Gopnik on the Political Orphanage, my show. He's a writer for The New Yorker. He wrote a book on liberalism, and he made a distinction between liberals in the old use of the term and leftists which is not one that i had hitherto stumbled onto and according to him and i believe him liberals are kind of cousins with constitutional conservatives they both both come out of the enlightenment and have a primacy of the individual and proceduralism and rule of law and are largely arguing about how to do economics and things like that that's distinct from leftism leftism is a different species with different intellectual heritage and leftism likes chaos because it wants to wreck the system it thinks the system is itself fundamentally flawed and so the way to wake people up and the way to start the system anew is to have uh, riots and chaos and things like that break that system. And so I think this is an example of that. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it tends to work out very well. I like I am very much an incrementalist and a proceduralist. Uh, I think generally when there is some sort of horrible regime in place, it hasn't worked out terribly well for the people when there's a violent upthrow. Like uh, Britain had a much better revolution than France did or, or uh, Russia did. And so I don't know how what appears to me to be very large economic temper tantrums is going to change policy in a positive manner. Yeah. The previous president that um, is, I, was he detained or arrested? Um, yes, he faces 16 counts of fraud, money laundering, and racketeering for being part of a multi-billion dollar embezzlement scheme during his time as president. And he has been evading uh, his court dates like 30 or 40 different times. That's okay. Him. He should have fled the country a lot. I know. What are you thinking? <laughs> if I had a billion dollars, I would be in Switzerland tomorrow. Right. They'd yeah. never see me be again. Be a little more self-aware yeah. of your surroundings. Um, they come from the same party, uh, the current and the, and the previous. Uh, that party is corrupt, and they are leftist. They're not liberals. They're leftists. Um, and I think it's hilarious that only he is being indicted on um, you know corruption or money laundering, all this other stuff. Because that's where big government, which leftism, uh, that's what they're all about. That's what it breeds. It's a breeding ground for corruption. Uh, that's what you're going to get. Um, I see that as, you know, this is kind of the end state to where it's, you know, you're seeing an evolution. There's either going to be a bloody revolution like in France um, that spawns off of governments like this and you end up with something else, usually with a despot at the, at yeah. the, at the top. You get a Napoleon at best. It, right. Um, it's sad, but it's a very small uh, chance that it evolves into something else. I have no idea. I really feel bad for South Africans. We've got a friend on this network, you know, the uh, South African Yako. Yeah. Um, I was talking to him about it yesterday. I mean, it's just like corruption is rampant there. And right now, them just, I mean, it's just funny that they're lobbing all of it onto this former president when the entire party, the entire system is built off of it. They're just kind of pushing it off onto this and the people suffer, which... That's in summation leftism and 
in general. I, I suspect you all have talked about riots previously since I've been gone. <laughs> yeah. uh, allow me to weigh in if you have not. Um, there is a fundamental difference between a protest and a riot. Mm -hmm. A protest, like here in America, you have a constitutional right to it. You should have that right anywhere in the world to, to protest your government. That should be absolutely everything and every individual can have. There's a difference between protesting something and loudly and vociferously drawing attention to something bad versus using other people as collateral damage to prove a point. And mm -hmm. I don't believe in collateral damage. And a lot of the time, like the grocery stores and things like that, they're not a part of this. They're not the ones putting whoever this guy is in power or covering up for him. They're just people trying to make a living. And it's just this great groundswell of emotions that are bubbling up in violence and property damage. I don't think victimizing other people solves problems for other victims. Right. right? That never works. All right, we've got to go to break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about former President George W. Bush. Hang with us. So former President Bush, is George W. Bush, excuse me, calls the U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan a mistake. So we have a clip from an interview where he says the consequences will be unbelievably bad. Let's take a listen. It's unbelievable how that society changed from the brutality of the Taliban. And now all of a sudden, you know, sadly, uh, I'm afraid Afghan women and girls are going to suffer unspeakable harm. Is it a mistake? The withdrawal. I, you know, I think it is. Yeah, I think because I think the consequences are going to be unbelievably bad, and uh, I'm sad. And we, I spend Laura and I spend a lot of time with Afghan women, and uh, uh, and they're scared. And I think about all the interpreters and people that helped not only U.S. troops but NATO troops, and they're just. It seems like they're just going to be left behind to be slaughtered by these very brutal people and uh, it breaks my heart. So he made these comments after President Biden last week said U.S. troops would be out of Afghanistan sooner than the original September 11th deadline. They're saying troops will be home by August 31st and the Biden administration is also launching an operation to relocate those Afghan nationals who aided the U.S. military efforts um, and are in the process of applying for residency in the United States. They aren't giving a lot of details for security purposes, but they are working on identifying a third country or U.S. territory to host the Afghan nationals and their families while those visa applications are being processed. So, Jason, I will start with you on this one because I could tell. Do, do you think, do you, first, do you agree with, with former President George W. Bush's statement? Not in the slightest. Um, so, I will agree, actually, I will agree with one thing. Yes, it's going to be bad. Um, it's going to be bad for the Afghan people. Um, these are the consequences that we have to now deal with. I fought there. It's very emotional for me. Um, I think that we did our job. Um, we should not have stayed as long as we, we did. I, I've seen waste and amount of dollars that you would not even believe. Um, things that we pump, money that we pumped in there that was never good for anything but a photo op. Um, very disappointing. Um, yes, th this is something that I want the Biden administration to stand right out in front of and deal with these consequences. Um, not, not purely on him, because it was the former regime, uh, Trump's uh, uh, administration as well that they wanted to get us out, rightly so. Um, but yes, there will be bad consequences. I give it six months to 12 months before the Taliban is in complete control. They're already taking town after town after town. They're going to get back into control. Things are going to suck in Afghanistan. Let's just not sugarcoat it. It will suck for women especially. Um, 
there will be more terrorist organizations that will be training in Afghanistan. Yes, I predict we probably will have to deal with um, another attack. Who knows how in severity, but we will have to deal with terrorist activity from Afghanistan. Um, is it our job anymore? No, it's not. It's the Afghan people's job to deal with it. Afghanistan as a country is an amalgamation of about five different countries. It could split in an instant. Pashtunistan in the north, um, I can't remember all the rest of them. But it's artificial and it shouldn't be as, as it is right now. Um, what does that translate to? A tyrant will al always have to rule over it from within the country. That's mm -hmm. it. There's never going to be an outside force that goes in, uh, occupies Afghanistan and rules it, unless it's a tyrant. Um, we're not willing to go there. Most other countries are not willing to go there, so that's probably not going to happen. So what, was, what would you say is the best way that this could have been handled? Um, I think that our mission from the start was not defined clearly. So um, I think that, yes, the Taliban needed to be struck. I think that they, you know, they needed to be uh, dealt with. I think that Osama bin Laden attacked us and definitely should have been dealt with. Then it gets murky because what do you do after the fact, after the Taliban is, you know, punished? Um, there's no one in the country with the power, or there wasn't, that could hold everything together. I remember in an armored convoy going up to Kabul, we stopped right outside the city. We looked at, what was his name? I think it was Karzai. I can't remember the head of the Northern Alliance at the time. We waved to him and we let him and his troops ride into the city so that they could claim it, you know, and it wasn't a U.S. You know, occupation, it was them. Um, I don't think he was ever, they were never ready to, you know, fully take the reins of Afghanistan. Most people in Afghanistan, they don't want to, they don't want to be ruled over by, by anybody. They just want to be farmers and ranchers and that type of thing. Yeah, just live their lives. Um, sorry, I'm rambling here, but again, it is very, very emotional for me, but you know, I do not want United States soldiers there. We shouldn't have stayed as long as we did. Um, this is not our problem anymore. Um, is it our fault? That's debatable. Um, but um, it's not our mission there to, to help the Afghans continue, you know, hold their hand and running their country. That's their job. But the consequences are things are going to suck in that country. Yes, they are. Andrew, agree? I was going to say almost exactly that, but I decided at the beginning of this that I was going to fight Jason, and I'm going to stand by that. <laughs> so like in, okay. in, instead of <laughs> saying exactly what Jason said, minus a tour of duty, which I never did, uh, I'll say this. Look, I think everybody loves the British Empire. And if we learned one thing from the British Empire, <laughs> it takes about 300 years to subdue a population to the point where they become docile and learn cricket. So we have 280 <laughs> years to go with Afghanistan. We're pulling out way too early. They don't know cricket sufficiently well. We should remain for another 280 <laughs> years, like George W. Bush wants. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I don't know cricket, so. <laughs> yeah, see, if the British should just hold on to us for another 50 years. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, um, we've got one more kind of serious story for you here. The Biden administration, they are dealing with the fact that the Iranian government has directed, allegedly, followers to kidnap a writer and an author here in the United States and take her back to Iran. Um, these intelligence officials have been working to keep her safe. They've been sitting out in front of her house for weeks now. Um, they conspired to kidnap this journalist. She's a, she's a journalist, an author, and a human rights activist for mobilizing public opinion in Iran and around the world to bring about changes to the regime's laws and practices. It sounds like a movie plot, does it not? So the UN is going to investigate us for racism. Meanwhile, we're busy protecting Iranian journalists from being kidnapped. How does this make sense? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I think I heard that uh, they were saying this was a, uh, a local law enforcement issue, not a uh, 
an international like movie spy type issue, which is pretty ridiculous when you consider what they're trying to do geopolitically in you know out in the world is they want to get a closer relationship with Iran so that they can uh, you know pull off Obama one of Obama's legacies, the Iran deal, which is absolutely insane. Um, I think it's going to it, it, it exposes the, it's for sure exposes the hypocrisy of listening to anything the UN says you know regarding human rights. Um, I think it's again laughable that the United States media journalists they think that they have it so hard. You know, you, you, you lob things like fake news at them and they retreat and say we're under attack. Um, no, this is the reality. This is how cushy you have it now. I mean, this is, let's not even talk about Russia where, you know, a lot of journalists, if they piss somebody off, they're just pushed out a window. Um, Iran will follow their journalists to the ends of the earth to try and hunt them down and kill them. Uh, that's the media under attack right there. Yeah, uh, William F. Sweeney Jr. is the head of the FBI's New York office. He said, this is not some far-fetched movie plot. We allege a group backed by the Iranian government conspired to kidnap a U.S.-based journalist here on our soil and forcibly return her to Iran. And he said, not on our watch. But do you think this is a problem we need to address with the Iranian government? Or where do we go from here? I, I compartmentalize these things to some extent, right? So like, I'll like concede there's a lot of hypocrisy going on, but I think American foreign policy is mired in hypocrisy. Yeah. The, the, the fact that we are allies with Saudi Arabia, which is a theocratic feudal regime of despotism, not cute like Swedish monarchs who ride bicycles around and cut ribbons, but like actual kings who cut off heads, is amazing to me that we consider them a friend, right? So there's, there's plenty of hypocrisy to go around. It's a longstanding thing. In terms of the, the juxtaposition of uh, a journalist uh, uh, horribly being targeted by the regime versus the uh, the nuclear treaty. Th these to me are separate things. In the same way that um, we have ballistic missile treaties or did with Russia, and and if if there's some infraction going on, we might want to keep those treaties in place. I think we don't see eye to eye on this one, even even comedically. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I look at that and I go, okay, they've they've had a nuclear program since the Shah. It's been going on for a very long time. They've got it literally underground, under mountains. If we were to flatten Iran tomorrow, they could get it up and running again in six months. So I, I think that there's got to be something. Either we, in, we, we uh, go all uh, John Bolton and, uh, and invade them every 20 years, uh, or Michael Bolton, I can't remember. The guy with the mustache, <laughs> not the musician. We invade them every 20 years. We indefinitely occupy them until we can teach them cricket. <laughs> or we come up with some kind of diplomatic situation because they've, they're going to have that capacity unless we keep invading them. So I, I think there's going to need to be that going on. Yeah, I, and I will disagree respectfully because I, I don't see Iran as a normal country. I see them as a more successful ISIS. Um, travel, but go back in history. They're terrorists. They're terrorists that took over a country. Um, they've been committing terrorist acts that are documented. Everybody all over the world knows, like, okay, yeah, but they are the ones that order these terror, uh, terror groups to go out and hit the world. Um, they've specifically said that they want to annihilate Israel. I mean, come on. Like, that's the reason why they want to have a nuclear bomb. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. The, their ideology is something called 12 or Shia Islam, um, which the end state is they initiate a catastrophic, world-changing global catastrophe or disaster, like a nuclear explosion. That's what Khomeini is all about. That's what all of the uh, mullahs underneath him are all about. So this is not a normal country. This is, I mean, this is a terrorist organization that hides under the banner of a national flag. It's, it's absolutely insane. And I'm not for, I will agree with you, I'm not for invading every, you know, every other few years. I'm not for that. I don't really know what the heck. And I wish a lot of politicians would say the same thing. Like, I don't know how to deal with them. At this point, I'm all for just 
saying, don't, you know, go no further. We won't step inside, but we're going to hinder you at every step of the way in the rest of the country. Maybe not personally, but we will support people that are around you that will, you know, continue to do that. Um, but yeah, if any regime, like North Korea, I see North Korea is very, very smart at what they do. They're very, very crafty in giving the appearance of crazy, but somehow always getting what they want. Always, since the 50s, always getting what they want. Get, you know, they act crazy, we give them something to back down. Things get hard, they act crazy, we give them something so they want to back down. There's a little bit of a genius to their madness, really, and I don't even think it's madness, really. Um, but Iran scares the crap out of me on things like that. I'm, I'm friends with a guy named Michael Malice who makes the point that when, when you rob a bank, there's one type of people that fires a gun into the air, and there's another type that fires a gun into a hostage. Mm -hmm. And he would put North Korea in the gun in the air category. Exactly I don't know how right. he feels about Iran. Exactly right. I think you'd put it in the, the gun in the hostage category for yes. Iran. Yes. Yeah. But are they interested in forming a cricket team? That's really what's... we got to know. <laughs> and we got to know how good the food is. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. All right, we got to go to break. We'll be right back to talk about inflation. If you've tried to rent a car at all this summer, then you know prices have just been going through the roof. Let me tell you why that might be. Senate Democrats will reportedly ram through a $3.5 trillion spending bill that will enact the full array of President Joe Biden's social welfare agenda without any bipartisan support in a Senate that is split 50-50. Um, Biden has kind of seen his approval rating slide, especially among Democrats who want him to be more radical and ramming through this agenda. And this news also comes as inflation has really been just skyrocketing in recent months, driven in large part by this massive government spending from the Biden administration. So let's talk a little bit about that inflation. There is a, a tweet that the Washington Post economics correspondent Heather Long tweeted out. It's a list of items with their inflation rates. Kind of shocking. Car rental, 87.7%. Change, used cars, 45.2%, gas, 45.1%, airfare, 24.6%. It was a huge change from last year with airfare, that's for sure. Hotels, furniture, <laughs> bacon made the list. Um, milk, ah, the all bacon, milk, the bacon all index. The bacon index is at 8.4. Stop right there with the bacon. Um, <laughs> But Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said that gives every major program that President Biden has asked us for, and it pays for it in a robust way if, uh, if this goes through. So do we really need to be spending $3.5 trillion if we're already in so much debt? Uh, you know, the Federal Reserve has ordered our currency to not have more than 2% inflation. So it can't go above that because it's been ordered by the Federal Reserve. I think we should put the Federal Reserve Board in charge of humidity because I don't want it above 50% at any given time either. And apparently that's how that works. And so, Jason, do you think this is what we should be doing is inflation is just skyrocketing? It's going through the roof. Uh, no, uh, no. Uh, all, all the things the government tells you they want to pay for, Personally, I think everyone on the table knows here uh, knows me pretty well. Uh, I think there's a private organization that can do it a whole lot better and a whole lot more efficiently. Problem is, we don't have anybody in Washington D.C. No party, um, sadly not the Libertarian Party yet, um, that can figure out how to convey this to the American people. Um, I give leftists—I don't think you can say liberals—give leftists the credit for being such good PR people. 
to where they can spin it to where, hey, let us do all this for you. It's better for you. We know better. We know we're better managers of your money. We've got we'll the loudest feelings. We have the loudest feeling. It's always about the feelings, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they know all the right buttons to push so that you think anyone that doesn't agree with them is a racist bigot for not wanting those type, you know, for not wanting these trillions. Good gosh, trillions of dollars. We don't even think about it anymore. A trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we did a show not too long ago of just, like, showing a trillion, uh, uh, what was a $1 bill and a $100 bill stacked on top of each other, how much money that was. I mean, it, like, it goes all the way out to the moon. It's ridiculous. Mm. Now we throw, what was that, over $2 trillion, two point something trillion dollars? $3.5 trillion. $3.5 Add another it, trillion on there. It don't matter. None of this yeah. matters, guys. <laughs> Because, first of all, we run out of money, we can print more. Just print more. And <laughs> if that's a problem, we'll just do price controls. So we'll just have the government... Price controls, We'll yes. have the government say, uh, I, J- I'm, I'm finally going to concede, Jason has convinced me, inflation's horrible. Um, <laughs> in- inflation's horrible for two reasons. It's horrible ideologically, because inflation is taxation without legislation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Inflation is when, either purposefully a lot of the time, or inadvertently, as is happening right now, the government devalues currency. So rather than taxing you directly, where it's at least being debated it's done through a backdoor mechanism and it's the exact same thing it affects you the exact same way the other reason that it's bad is not just that it's i think um counter to the idea of republican rule that we have in this country but it it also disproportionately impacts people at the bottom of the social Mm -hmm. economic pyramid right so it affects everybody right Mm -hmm. but if you're at the bottom you're probably getting paid a certain salary that is not going to keep up with inflation uh, and people at the top know that this is happening, which means they actually benefit from inflation. They're going to be able to get a windfall out of this. If you've already got a house and you've got a low in, uh, interest rate locked in, you're going to do quite well in that because you're going to be able, it's not going to affect you, right? But for everybody that's not at that level from, from mid or up, it's going to negatively affect them. So I, I very much sympathize with and oftentimes endorse welfare measures. Like I'm not, I, I think we need a social safety net, but we have to do it in a very smart way where it's not going to be something that we're, we're flinging at a problem, but we're taking into effect all of the collateral damage and, and downwind effects that are going to happen and inflation is one of them. Well, piggybacking off of that, there was a poll and it revealed that 1.8 million Americans have turned down jobs due to their unemployment benefits. I don't know if you guys have noticed how many help wanted signs are in the windows of every restaurant and grocery store, but I was on vacation last week and saw them everywhere. Oh my gosh, there's a restaurant that we try to go, uh, there's a, like, I won't say it on air, but there's a, rest, a fast food restaurant that we like to go to. It used to be open during the day, because why wouldn't it be? But now they've closed it, and I was like, what the heck? So I, was, I was pissed, I couldn't open the door, so I knocked, and someone finally came looking annoyed. And uh, they said, oh, it's not for, because uh, I thought it was about COVID lockdowns. It's like, seriously? We're not past this already? And they said, no, it has nothing to do with that. We just can't get anybody to work during the day so that we can operate and open the store. Mm-hmm. And that's multiple. Like, they're adjusting their hours. Yes. They're knocking off multiple hours at the end and start. It, it's insane. That's why 26 states opted to cut those emergency benefits because they wanted people to go back and be incentivized to take jobs. So of the people actively collecting unemployment benefits, 29% said they turned down job offers during the pandemic. 45% of that group said they turned down jobs specifically because of the generosity of the benefits. So we should just take away their benefits. The people that said, yes, that's why I'm not working. Everybody else (laughs) can keep it. So so, so those those benefits, it's not just unemployment, it's enhanced unemployment. Mm -hmm. So if you lost your job um, and so you don't have your job, You'll say you worked at some fast food restaurant. Those jobs are, are, are open now, but at the same, uh, same pay scale that you are making. Well, the problem with the enhanced benefits are it's that money plus more. 
So it's more beneficial for them not to go back to work because they're making more money just sitting at home Staying collecting home. those benefits. Also assuming that they're working, uh, they're not doing any uh, below the counter work either. Yeah. Like 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 this, I'm torn on this thing because like like when, like during the height of the pandemic, I was like, we should be giving out stimulus checks. We should be doing these things. I, I thought that this is a unique phenomenon wherein there is a, a legitimate government role to attempt to create a social safety net to to uh, soften the blow, particularly for ordering people that they can't go to work. It made sense to also compensate with it. So I like that. By that same token, though, like, I know, I know a lot of people um, who, like, have been working and collecting unemployment checks and are now making more than I do. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like, mm, I'm not wild about that bit. If right. we can figure out a way to help people but not let people, and I, I kind of would be like, guys, this is why people don't like unemployment because of what That's you're right. doing. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm from the side of this re really pisses me off because from my view is the government had no say whatsoever to tell these companies that they could not go back to work, that you had to shut down. Right. That was not in their mandate. They, they had no right to do that whatsoever. Um, let's say that uh, it's national emergency. They declare national emergency, which gives them limited powers that they can do that at the time. Well, you have to show your work. That's not, you can't just say, okay, we're doing this for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, going out into years or whatever. You have to kind of, you have to show the receipts. You have to show why that was still, you know, reason, there's a reason for that. They never showed that, mm -hmm. right? So the government not only overstepped their authority there, now they're making it even worse by enhanced employment benefits. So the people that they shut down, now they can't even get employees. And the government's always the is always the bad guy, especially here. Well, I think for the people that aren't working now, go get that job now because they're going to start filling up once every you know all the benefits and everything starts to run out. So go get you a job. All right, we come back. We're going to talk about Jackie Chan. Oh, stay for that. Yeah, really interesting. I'll fight him. <laughs> <laughs> now that he's like seven. Yeah. <laughs> If you've been a fan of Jackie Chan movies, this story might really interest you. So Jackie Chan says that he wants to join the Chinese Communist Party. During a Beijing symposium celebrating the Chinese Communist Party's centennial, he sang the praises of the party. He said, I am jealous that you are CCP members. The CCP is really great. He said, the CCP's promises don't take 100 years. They're fulfilled in decades. I want to become a CCP member. Really bizarre, considering when he was younger and he was an up-and-coming actor in the early days of his career, he was actually very outspoken about Hong Kong's freedom, even performing in a concert for democracy in China, a fundraiser to benefit students involved in the protests during that time. But then in 2019, recently, when the New York Times asked him what he thought of the recent pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, he said, I don't know anything about it. That's so. I'm just curious, do you think he actually supports the Chinese Communist Party or do you think his family is being held hostage somewhere? I have a lot of faith in Jackie Chan. And I think, <laughs> okay, let me just, if you were gonna take over China, first of all, who could do it? Jackie Chan could. If you <laughs> were gonna do it, would, would, you, would you fight every single person in China? There's a billion, he could still do it, but it would take a long time. Better thing to do, yeah, communism's great. Make me a member of the CPB. Great. Next step, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll be vice president of China. Next step, uh, beat up the current, uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but the, the head of the Politburo, become the head of China, relocate Beijing to Hong Kong. Bam. Done. Jackie Chan <laughs> saves China from the illegitimate communist regime. Like Work smarter, not harder. Yeah, exactly. It's like it. Chinese Chuck Norris. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. That's Jackie Chan. I, I think that's what's happening. <laughs> Jason, what do you think? Do you think that uh, the Chinese Communist Party has some influence over Jackie Chan? That's why he's saying these things? Or do you think he really believes it? Uh, this is frightening to me. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is, is influence. Uh, that's what they are. Um, 
No, I don't believe for a second that all of a sudden he thinks that oppression um, and what was happening, like, say, during Tiananmen Square was a good thing. You can change, but I don't think you can change that drastically. Um, no, I, what happened in his early career was pre-Xi Jinping. 2019 on is post-Xi Jinping, uh, the president of China, mm-hmm. um, which says a lot. Uh, they are going wildly further towards... I don't even know what you call it. Um, Back towards totalitarian, because they were opening up for a while, right? They were moving towards opening. Like when I was in college, I went to Beijing, and I could go on Google, I could go on Facebook, I could do these things. I could ask people about Mao. They acknowledged Mao was human. That was a really big book at the time. Was Mao only human? Was that President Ding? Uh, I think so. Yeah, and and they would like, and they they could like. He made some mistakes, and I'm like, yeah, thirty million of them, yeah. Um, <laughs> but they were they were moving that direction. They've very much tightened that. They're they're absolutely consolidating power. He's he's president for life, and uh, the amount of informational lockdown. I know that we've talked on what I've been on the show previously about the weird social credit system that's happening right now, mm-hmm. which is terrifying. Um, me as a comedian, I've been in. I, I performed in the uh, China International Stand Up Comedy Festival here two years ago. All my friends that were there now have been kicked out of the country, or at least if they weren't kicked out of the country, their club was shut down because all the comedy clubs were shut down because how dare you exercise independent thought. Um, so it's, it's definitely moving that direction of like control statism, authoritarianism. and It's not communism. It's, it's not communism at all. So that's why I have a hard time actually labeling it. Um, they have the Chinese Communist Party, the Politburo and everything. Um, so that's there almost as like a status symbol of like a callback to the past. So kind of similar how Russia always invokes Mm. the Orthodox Church whenever they want an injection of nationalism. It's kind of like that's what the CCP is really only there for. It's just like to invoke, I guess, Mao and them taking control of their country and where they're going. But they're not communist. Um, I mean, good gosh, they have some of the world's richest people in their country exercising capitalism. Um, no, they're totalitarian, and it's going mm. further and further in that direction. And, and they're, they're very clever about it. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But no, they are very clever about it. Um, you mean in the way they hide it? Or? Well, no, in, in general, I think that the, I think China really paid attention to how the Soviet Union dissolved. Because like 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 Gorbachev, Gorbachev went. There's serious structural problems with communism. What we're going to do is bring in little bits of democracy and little bits of capitalism to shore up and spackle that problem. And what happened was people went, oh, freedom, good, I don't like you, I want to be my own thing. And the whole thing fell apart. And China went, let's not do that. Yeah. And they've been taking notes, and they, like, they're like they very good at being able to manipulate information and get very, very good about using modern technology to crack down on dissidents and all those things. It's yeah. very sophisticated. And the, the, just to wrap that up, the, the cracking down is happening at a historic rate right now. It's dangerous to live in that country. There are Between like rooting out corruption, as I like to call it, and disappearing people, to actual concentration camps, but they're not, they're not even trying to hide that. They're, they're sterilizing men and women in these concentration camps. They're not trying to hide it. It's happening. The people there know, and you have, even if he's a big superstar like Jackie Chan, he sees this going on. So that's why it's so frightening to me, is he's made such a radical change that he is now, he's basically forced to say yes. this because what else is going to happen? Jackie, let's work out a system. You can like blink twice with your left eye. <laughs> you can put it, but if you were being held against your will in some way. Andrew and I will come get That's you. Right. That's we, right. I've got because two of the best right here. You don't have a Jackie Chan. You've got a right hook from here. <laughs> a a <laughs> comedian and ex-military. You guys are unstoppable. It does sound like a fun <laughs> film, does it not? It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about someone you won't believe got an Emmy nomination. Hang with us. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, 
Well, you'll never guess who got an Emmy nomination. It happens to be Stacey Abrams for voicing herself, her own character. She was playing herself on Blackish. She even tweeted out, thank you for lifting up the rights of voters at such a critical time and letting me appear in such a fantastic show. Awesome. Hollywood award shows, this is just a joke at this point, isn't it? And I know you're the expert, Andrew, because you actually wrote a book I did. about it. Yes, I, I wrote a book called Los Angeles' Hideous Poems About an Ugly City. And uh, yeah, this reminds you remember when um, Barack Obama won the the Pulitzer, no, the, the Nobel Prize for not being George W. Bush. Yeah. They were just like, you're not George Would you like this medal fling? And like, he wasn't even in office yet. I, I Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a very strange thing to uh, go, we just desperately, desperately, desperately want to crown political figures we like. It doesn't actually matter what they're doing. All the more reason that Los Angeles has problems with it. I mostly focus on how hideous it is because I think it's an endless cascade of tiling grout asphalt and abandoned strip malls, but there's also problems with an interior as well. Well, I cannot wait to read your book. Everybody needs to pick up a copy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank they you. can find it on Amazon. They can I find it, it on Amazon myself. or they can go to laisugly.com. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.